Hey there, everybody. Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 238, and I am your host and also your guest, Matt Boswell. Yes, it's the podcast that almost never has an actual guest, uh, and therefore I'm both host and guest. I'm like the Leatherman of podcasts, all wrapped up and rolled into one. Um, and uh, I get the privilege of sharing with you every week uh, things that are on my heart or my mind, things I'm thinking about, whether it's in the culture, or I'm thinking about it as it relates to our spiritual development, whatever it is. And all of it has this objective to help us be better missionaries in our world and better representatives of Jesus to our world. And I think that's so critical because not only does the world around us have maybe um, different understandings of us as Christians, uh, and, and some of those understandings, they may be informed by things that have actually happened in the negative and they go, man, Christians are crazy, or it's just overstatements against Christianity and it doesn't fully represent what we really think and believe. But for all of that, we just realize that our job in part, at least, is to be disrupting stereotypes. It is to be out there, uh, again, proud of Jesus, an ambassador of Jesus, living like Jesus, talking like Jesus, interacting with people like Jesus. All of that's to be true. And we're doing that because we want to change the narrative that says, you know, Christians are, you know, whatever it is, controlling, judgmental, too political. You know, they have the list of things that are pretty popular and what is perceived of us as Christians. And again, some of those licks have been earned. Some of those things are most high caliber leaders have stepped in various like droppings on the ground and and soiled everybody in the process right we all kind of end up looking bad when our prominent leaders don't have the best foot forward in representing our faith and so then our job is to undo that damage and the best way we can undo it is not simply by saying that's not all of us but rather that we model something different and and it was really that idea of modeling something different that then uh, is inspired kind of today's topic now, originally, I wanted to title this, Jesus was a relativist and so can you, which is kind of a nod to Stephen Colbert for those who know. Uh, but then I thought, man, I'm just going to get in trouble for saying Jesus was a relativist because I'm not trying to say Jesus was a relativist in every way. But I think there are some things where there is a le level of relativism attached to it. And what I mean by that is that what Jesus cares about most, what Jesus is weighing is the heart condition in relationship to actions. And with that, if the heart is deeply sincere even when the actions are flawed, that's going to be better than the actions are perfect, but the motivations are flawed. Uh, that that equation doesn't work as well, right? And a good example of this is even like the uh, the scene in the Gospel of Luke where there's this elderly widow that comes to the temple and throws in two mites, right? And there's this comparison where Jesus is like, she's given more than all these religious leaders that are throwing serious bank into the coffers, right? And so from kind of a monetary perspective, the religious leaders that were throwing down serious cheddar, like they, they gave more money. That's just true. This woman gave almost nothing, but for her, it was everything, even though it was nothing, it was everything for her. And Jesus is like, see, in his kingdom economy, that little bit of two mites, but given with sacrifice is greater than chunking down a million bucks, but your heart is not connected to the giving, right? So in that sense, there's like this relative, 
deterministic scale where he is way more concerned about intention and heart and motivation than simply just function. And, and so because of that, again, like I said, I was kind of wanting to title the series or this particular podcast like I was wanting to go that direction. But then I decided instead that I would title it, which is probably more to the essence of this one today, this idea of spirit living versus checklists. Spirit living versus checklists, right? Because here's the thing I have uh, discovered over 30 years of pastoral ministry. I think we as uh, as Christians are very tempted to fall into the trap of the Galatian churches, right? So the book of Galatians, one of the earliest epistles of Paul, probably written somewhere in like the 50 AD-ish range or somewhere in the 50s. Uh, his epistles kind of start there and then work their way up into maybe the early to mid-60s kind of thing. Um, but that was one of the early ones. And he's dealing with these churches in Asia Minor that are kind of blending Christianity and Jewish uh, legalism into uh, in this singular melting pot for the church, right? So this is what Christians are supposed to do, and this is how they're supposed to live. And so they start really cataloging a lot of the law, especially particular laws like dietary laws, circumcision, things like that. They're saying this is also necessary for you to live out a fulfilling and faithful Christian experience. And I think where we get sucked into that same trap may not be with the same codes, right? We like our bacon too much, so we're not going the dietary route. Circumcision, I don't even know how you would check for that back in that day. Like, okay, if you're going to be a member, you got to show us that you're circumcised. Like, who knew? How would you find out? But apparently that was a big deal in the Galatian churches uh, that they were trying to impose on everybody. Um, but, But what they were doing there is not the same legalism that we fall victim to. Uh, but I still think we kind of fall victim to this idea of like checkboxes. Like this is what the good Christian experience is. I do these different things and that lets me know that I am a faithful believer, right? So I go to church. I have a daily devotional. I try to pray every day. I pray before meals. Um, you know, I give, I serve at my church and those are all good things. I don't want to take away from those good things. They're good things. But much like the problem of the churches in Galatia, you could have all those check boxes and yet your heart is far from God. You have all these check boxes that you do, but you're not trying to enter a space where you are dependent on and reliant on the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that's so challenging about that, right? Um, I think check boxes are easier than spirit living, right? So to just say, give me the catalog and I'll open up to page one and I'll start just cataloging everything I'm supposed to do. And then from that, I can just dust off the hands and call it done because I've done my due diligence of living out good Christian ethics or values or principles or whatever else. The problem with that is that that's not exactly what God is going for in coming after us, right? He comes after us, not so we will just be really good rule keepers. He comes after us so that we will enter into a union and relationship with him by which his life is lived out in our lives. And in connection to that, our hearts are tethered to his heart so that we love what he loves and we do what we do because he's doing that through us. Like Paul talks about this even in Philippians. It's not uh, us who's really doing this stuff. It's God in us who's doing this stuff, right? Like that's the space we're supposed to be in. And so this is reminiscent then of his letter to the Galatians in Galatians chapter five. And this idea of we're called to not do more good things, but 
rather we're called to live life in the spirit and let the spirit do good things in us. And that has a subtlety to it that's a little bit challenging because, again, in the checkboxes, I can do that in my own strength. Maybe I'm not going to do it great. Maybe I'm going to be inconsistent. But I can simply just go like, oh, I don't have to get into this weird, murky world of spiritual connection. I just do things in the name of Jesus, and that's good enough. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm wanting you to do. I want to have uh, this, again, uh, bonding opportunity. This is what God is saying to us. I want a bonding opportunity with you as my people. And from that bonding, then I'm going to then do a work in you. And that requires this kind of ominous walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, being filled with the spirit to do that, right? So in fact, here it is, uh, Galatians, starting in verse four of chapter five. He says, for if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ and you have fallen away from God's grace. That is intimidating right out of the chute. And I know our our kind of temptation here is to be like, well, that was for them and their Jewish laws. But, but again, I think too often we try to make ourselves right with God by our good deeds, our good works, our good activities or whatever else. And that doesn't mean that good deeds, works, and activ- activities are are bad things or wrong things. But again, sometimes we just go, that's the main thing or that's the primary thing or as long as I'm doing that thing or those things, I'm good. And so the risk is just the same, that we are more following the laws, Christian or Jewish, doesn't matter. We're just following the rules and the laws more than we're following Christ in spirit. It's easy to follow rules in comparison to following Christ in spirit because Christ in spirit and following them, that's more organic. That, that, that's more of this throughout the day kind of talking, processing with prayerfulness, uh, hungering, longing, wanting of a uh, connection with God, right? Like that stuff is, is a little bit more, uh, organic, right? Than, than just the mechanics of rule keeping. Uh, and so we can get sucked into the traps of rule keeping and thinking we're a good Christian because we keep rules. No, we're a good Christian if we're connected to Christ and we're living in the spirit. So he says in verse five, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive faith, uh, receive by faith, the righteousness of God that has been promised to us. For when we placed our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. Rather, he says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. I'm going to stop there for a second because I think this is really valuable. When we think about what is a good Christian experience, what is the thing that lets us know we are being most faithful, what's most faithful is that we love, that we love our neighbor, we love our enemy, we love our community. This was even kind of the podcast uh, in in the last couple of weeks as far as like evangelism and uh, bringing Jesus to work and all of these kinds of things. Like we are coming with this stated agenda that my goal is to love the people around me and to love the people around me because I love God and God loves these people and I am fulfilling what the real mandate is. So more than anything else, the way we should judge our interactions with the world is going to be rooted in that idea of does the world sense that we love them? Are we doing things that shows we love the world in the all the healthy and right ways and that we are invested even at our own personal sacrifice and cost so that they can experience this love because real faith, authentic gospel-centered kingdom-oriented faith is, is going to express itself in love. If it doesn't do that, 
It's not the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to be invested into. I mean, this is even why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, like, man, if you do all kinds of good stuff, but you don't have love, it's nothing. It's worthless. It's useless. What he's measuring, right, is our hearts in tune with his heart and his heart overlaid in our heart, our heart to then love the world around us, right? Like that's going to be the equation always. And so this is why I bang the drum so much about this idea of love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy. You know, it's because Paul is saying that's what matters most. Like if we're wanting to know what's the most important thing I can do as a Christian, it's love. That's the most important thing I can do, right? But to have this kind of love, you can't just simply follow rules and laws to get to a place of authentic love. It has to be God communing with our interior and then making that love that is interior and kind of pushing it to the exterior of our world through our lives, right? This is why then he says, going into verse 16, he says, so then I say, let the spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. I want to be really clear about this because I think sometimes when we read a passage like that and we go, oh, so... The sinful nature that wants to do evil, it's going to be all the the real scandalous sinful things that our sinful nature wants to do. Sure, that's going to be true. But what drives oftentimes all of those sinful impulses is selfishness and the desire for self-pleasure or self-preservation or self-centeredness, right? And so you think about a lot of the kind of scandalous sinful things that we can do. It's really about elevating ourselves and devaluing others, right? So it's the opposite of love. Sinful nature is to not engage in authentic neighborly love. It's rather to say it's more about me than you. It's about my life, my rights, my wants, my comfort, my money, my whatever. All of that is sinful nature stuff, right? The the idea of being led by the spirit or guiding or having a guidance of the spirit in our lives, what that's all about is saying, you take the wheel, man. I, I I don't want it to be all about me. I want it to be about you. And the only way we're going to have the fortitude and empowerment to do that is that we are seeking the spirit to do that in us. And so kind of mission one every day is like waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, you live through me today. Holy Spirit, you remind me what you want today. Holy Spirit, you are my priority today. I'm going to, to at regular intervals throughout my day, just simply pause quietly or in my car or on a break or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's just taking a moment and say, Holy Spirit, please, I want to live through you. I want to live in you. I want you to be alive in me because Paul says you can also suppress the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can fail to walk on the Holy Spirit. So just because all Christians have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean all Christians are tapping into the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of Paul's warning. It's like, man, you start looking at rules, you might be actually doing things in the flesh and not the Spirit because that's the context of Galatians 5. They had all of these ethical, moral, Old Testament rules that they were wanting to live by. But because of that, they weren't walking in the Spirit and it was igniting the temptations of their flesh. And so this is the same dilemma that we want to make sure we are insulating ourselves 
against that we're not going to just be like, I'm going to do the rules and then from that risk my my own sinful nature kind of coming out to the surface by being unloving, uncaring, uncompassionate, selfish, self-interested, and the like. No, I, I, I got to make sure here that I am desperately every day asking the Holy Spirit to do a thing in me because this is that relativistic thing again, right? Like, like more than us being the good rule keepers, it's us being really faithful spirit walkers because then that gives the rules a completely different context and tone, right? And, and it gives our perspective something that's completely different. Even our temperament is going to be different because I find that when I'm more walking in the spirit, I am less judgmental and I'm far more gracious toward the world around me. And I have a lot more understanding and bandwidth. But when I'm just going to be the rule keeper, right, then I start looking at other people going, why aren't they keeping the rules? And I can become a little bit more judgmental and I can become short and I can become frustrated and I can basically become a very ineffective missionary because it's not flowing from the life of God laid in my soul. It's flowing from me just wanting to find the, the right template and then just do the template in my own strength. It doesn't really work that way. And this is what Paul is warning against, right? Therefore, he reminds us of what the Spirit is wanting to do in us, right? He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against those things. Now, here's the important thing to understand about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is why I think sometimes we twist it. We turn the fruit of the Spirit into rules to keep. We turn these into little benchmarks of laws that we're trying to accomplish in our own life. So we go, I'm commanded to love. I'm commanded to be joyful. I'm commanded to be peacemaking and peaceful. I'm commanded to be patient. I'm commanded to be kind. And I'm commanded to be good and faithful and gentle and to have self-control. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not issuing a list of commands here. He's listing fruits, dispositions of the Spirit that naturally come out in our lives when we do what he said earlier, we are walking in the spirit, when we are seeking the the heart of the spirit to be laid in our heart. So that list of things, we shouldn't contort that simply into the rules that we keep. It actually should be our aspirations that we long for the spirit to bring out in our life. I mean, even Jesus talks about this in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, if you stay connected to me, you're going to bear much fruit and apart from me, you can do nothing. I think oftentimes we are we are lulled into or we are um, easily just kind of uh, pulled into doing kind of like kingdom branch stuff, but we're not connected to the vine. We're easily lulled into doing spirit-oriented tasks without actually having the spirit pulsating in us to produce those things through us, because that's what Paul's getting at here. And so from that, he says, um, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and it's crucified there, right? So that's a, that's a truth for us. And then he says, since we are living by the spirit, let us also follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So he says this positional thing has happened, but if we're really going to insulate ourselves so that position and practice are aligned, we need to be living by the Spirit. We need to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of life. And what that means for us is that we then need to every day throughout the day ask the Spirit, 
Where do you want to lead? Where do you want to guide? Do a thing in me. Work in me. Show yourself through me. Help me to be your love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. May your love pulsate through my life. When there's problems, Holy Spirit, please help me to be gentle right now. Help me to be self-controlled right now. I'm not trying to just white-knuckle my self-control. I want you to bring your power to bear in my life so that I'm self-controlled. Because if I'm just going to be self-controlled in my strength, that's not nearly as potent as being self-controlled because the Spirit is bringing control through my life. More to the point, if I'm just like, I'm going to just abide by the law of self-control, um, then I'm actually not even honoring what Galatians 5 is getting at, right? Because that's just using law to live my life when I'm supposed to leverage spirit so that his life is lived through me. That's the fundamental difference here, right? And so we are to have this life in the spirit. Go over to Romans chapter 8 really quick. He says, those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. This gives us some direction on how we do this whole spirit walking, living, following thing, right? He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control you, right? Control your mind leads to death. It leads to decay. It robs you of flourishing. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. Everybody wants a better life. Everybody wants more peace. And he says the key to that is letting the spirit control your mind. Well, how do you do that? You think about the things that please the spirit. So when we talk about spirit-oriented living and, and really having the spirit empower us in this way, Again, it doesn't come down to, so every day, read your Bible and pray and give your money and serve at church and make sure you attend on Sunday and good to go, right? Like those things are all going to augment a lot of this, right? But I've known people that do all of those things and they're very distant spiritually from the Holy Spirit, right? They're just very disciplined, very focused, but they're experiencing dryness or or an absence of a sense of God's peace and presence in their life, even though they're doing all the things and the checklist that you're supposed to do, but they're not having this spirit living. They're just doing checklisting. And so spirit living is saying, all right, I'm going to fill my mind with what the spirit loves. I'm going to set my mind on the agenda and ideals of the spirit. I want to uh, create kind of a an environment in my being where those traits that the spirit wants to do in me, um, I see those modeled and displayed and they're reminding me that that is my motivation and ambition, that I want him to do that through me because that's what the world most needs to see. See, one of the things I've been thinking about is, again, with a lot of the fallout of different leaders and successful ministries, like all these very successful ministries that we're finding more and more have toxic things in them. I'm realizing just how successful we can be in our own power. Like Christians can be incredibly successful in their own, what I'm going to kind of run with with Paul's words here, sinful nature power, right? In the name of God, we're doing all this really determined stuff. Uh, and then it becomes destructive in the end. What we need more of in our world is spirit-led Christians, spirit-walking Christians, spirit-minded Christians. And therefore, it's not about us, but it's about him in us. And, and then from that, the world can see something that is truly empowered and powerful. 
Because I think that's what it's longing for, right? When I think about us being missionaries, um, you know, I try to give little tips and things like that. And oftentimes my tips are not as concrete as they are kind of abstract. And I think there's a reason for that. And that is because I think so often in the New Testament, I find stuff like this is very abstract. What does it mean to have a mind set on the spirit? What does it mean to walk in the spirit, be filled with the spirit, uh, have your life oriented by the spirit? I don't fully know like the tools to do that. I casually know kind of what it requires is just my mindset has to be there all the time, right? So it has to become my absolute priority and agenda every day throughout the day, right? That, that, that you just can't get away from that's what it takes. That God wants us not kind of compartmentalizing our life and the Holy Spirit gets a part of one compartment, but rather the Holy Spirit is the entire container and then everything else has compartments inside. But from that, we're trying to figure out how the Spirit fits into all of those different nooks and crannies of life because that's where he's meant to reside in our everyday spaces. And I think the more that is the case, the more that we're looking at how we can invite God into our daily rhythms and routines, that we can invite the Spirit to empower, strengthen, motivate, and and determine us to be effective in his calling and mission for us. The more we can do all of those types of things, it's not working harder, but working smarter by seeking the spirit to do the working in us. The more we do that, the more we'll be effective everyday missionaries.